Welcome to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind No, my hide and I, Kiara, and welcome to Books and Beyond. This is your host, Alison, and I have a special guest in the studio with me today, Daniel Fitzpatrick. Now, Dan is Ngārua Hine, and he's a teacher of English in a large and super diverse secondary school in Auckland. So, kia ora, Dan. Kia ora, Alison. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's so cool to have you here. And look, I really want to thank you on behalf of the community for, for choosing teaching as a career. It, I believe it's a noble profession and, you know, I think most people would agree with me that we need more and more young men and women to become teachers because you're inspiring the generations of youth who are who are coming through the school system. So, well done you. Yeah. And, um, hey, you're nearly at the end of your first year of, of teaching. How have you been finding it? Well, I've absolutely been loving it so far. It's been uh, an absolute uh, experience yeah. to be able to rise to the challenges that are coming our way. Uh, it's been an interesting experience, a terrifying experience mm. as well. Um, the challenges that come up are different ones every day. And each time that you overcome one, you think, fantastic, I've made it through that mm. one. But then another one comes your yeah. way and you have to bat it out of the park each time, uh, <laughs> which is very difficult. And... Yeah, I it's it's been amazing and I've been yes. loving it so far. Oh, that's so cool. I'm really pleased to hear that and good on you. I'm full of admiration. Hey, so Dan, one of the units that you're teaching this year is called the Poetry of New Zealand Colonialism. And this sounds like a fascinating topic. So is this a new module? For me, it is brand new. Uh, I had basically never come across any of these texts before starting in this job. However, it at the school is not so new, has been going around for a couple of years, is quite a refined unit. Um, I came across the texts as I started and immediately fell in love with a lot of them. Mm, uh, they were fantastic and I, I became incredibly excited to teach them after experiencing them for the first time. Oh, that is, that's great. And how do the students react to the, the module? I was sort of thinking, you know, given the current state of the world, we've got this huge social unrest and Black Lives Matter movement. The students kind of into the program? They... Well, that was something that I was always concerned with when it came to text selection, because at this school, there's quite a lot of teacher choice as to exactly what we teach. I had been concerned leading up to starting with finding things that the students did connect with. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and because that's a a real challenge when you're teaching poetry, isn't it? Absolutely. Because you want to engage the the students. So do the um, students get to... Do they have any choice in the texts or do you kind of choose on their behalf? With regards to certain assessments in NCEA, well, the benefit of NCEA is the flexibility with the text choice that can be done. Some of the assessments, for example, the connections assessment, which draws uh, students' 
their understanding of several different texts, one of those texts does need to be self-selected. Oh, okay. So in certain situations, they have to choose texts themselves. Yeah. But it is very largely our job to guide them towards the appropriate texts. Most of the time will be one selected by us, possibly by the school. Yeah. Um, but the flexibility is there. Yeah. Oh, good. It sounds as though they have at least some control over their learning, which I think is a, a good thing, isn't it? Absolutely. Keeps, keeps them engaged. And because I was reading, there's quite a bit of research being done now about sort of culturally responsive teaching and the um, something that's interesting for me in libraries is socially situated literacy. Um, do you find that if the if the texts are relevant to the students' cultural backgrounds, that um, their their engagement with the program increases? I would say definitely. Yeah, definitely, yeah. it does. The what has been determined as important texts, and I w- will agree that these important texts from quite oftentimes British heritage yes. writers, yes. Um, they're what you can guarantee will be taught at different levels mm. and these students will be engaging with them. Um, and these are important. However, they need to start hearing voices that come from perspectives similar to their own, no matter what those perspectives are. Similarly, New Zealand being a constitutionally bicultural nation, mm. so the treaty upholds the Pākehā and the Māori heritage, mm. officially. This is what yes. constitutionally is the case. Uh, being culturally responsive and teaching, there's almost this responsibility to teach Māori perspectives along with Pākehā perspectives. Yeah. Recently, the change for definition of Pākehā no longer, no longer meaning just uh, British heritage. Mm. New Zealanders, it also means uh, non-Mouldy non- New Zealanders yes. as well. So yeah. that's important to yeah. recognise. And um, yes, and because that really reflects the makeup of your school, doesn't it, of your school students? Makeup of the school. And one thing that I love about the school is that's also the makeup of New Zealand. Yeah. Functionally, it's a multicultural nation. There's a, it's the different cultures and ethnicities and people that you will interact with when you work professionally or live your life mm. in New Zealand you will come across so many different people. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a fabulous society that we're in, isn't it? Yeah. And um, I guess I'm, I'm just presuming that um, you'd be, I reckon you're really good at this, but got to send messages to students that their, you know, their voices, their opinions and their preferences are important and that their voices can be heard. Um, do, I was going to ask if, if you get, ever get the students to write their own poetry and maybe perform it as well? Well, the New Zealand curriculum in terms of English is separated into different competencies, uh, both productive and receptive competencies. Productive being creating, or the term that is used in the curriculum is creating meaning. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. This is things like writing, uh, making, making yeah, in making. terms of making mm. visual uh, texts and also speaking as well is the other one. Um, on the converse side is the receptive competencies, things like reading, viewing and listening, uh, which is what we use 
It's kind of the same term, but making meaning is how that one is described. That's interesting that you talk about making because I really believe so passionately that reading helps us all make sense of the world. Absolutely. So reading is is make you know and and you know we're really wanting students to develop those sort of deep reading skills and. That's how you're able to participate fully in a society, isn't it? It absolutely yeah. is. We, you need to expose yourself to language in order to kind of level up your empathy skills. Yes. Um, being able to empathise with the people that you're going to interact with is essential for making it through every day. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I'm totally on the, the same page with you here, Dan. Hey, and let's move to poetry because some... Um, Poetry's always been such a great vehicle to express passionate feelings, um, including those of discontent and, and rage. And, um, that, you know, those two terms are important, I think, here today. And, you know, people have been writing and performing poetry, I guess, since the emergence of a written language. So we're talking millennia, really, aren't we? Um, I'd really like to take a look at some of the New Zealand poets that you teach and the first one, who I think is really Im- going to be really important um, today, is Apirana Taylor. Um, now, he's a, an award-winning poet and prose writer. And he's from um, Ngāti Ruanui in the South Taranaki. And that's um, very closely related to your iwi. Very closely related yeah. to our iwi. Uh, as a matter of fact, until very recently, I... Myself and my brothers and my mum, we believed that we did hail from this iwi. Oh, okay. We might have accidentally put in some documentation that we come from <laughs> Nazi yes. Um Na Ruahini, very close uh, yeah. across the other side of the river, South Taranaki iwi. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, it was quite... Because Taylor is a name that I had been familiar with and had come across his poetry and had looked deeply into his poetry when needing to teach his stuff. But then finding out that he had come from such a from very close background to us and it's amazing to be able to teach his work and, and to share his voice. Yeah, that must feel really precious to you, mustn't it? Um, and because the South Taranaki area, it's had such a huge amount of pain in its past from its experience it of colonisation. Yeah, and um, pain and, and trauma, as we know, they provide great inspiration for writers and artists. And, yes. Um, I, so I, sadly, I guess Apirana has no shortage of material to draw upon. Um, it, I was reading about him, him yesterday and the great poet Fiona Farrell has described Apirana Taylor as a seer and a shapeshifter, a poet and a warrior. I thought that sounded, that was a great sort of description of him. A really beautiful, accurate description as well that comes through in his writing. Yeah, yeah. And he's um, writing about people living precarious lives on the margins of society. And um, he also, one of his lines that I I love, um, he talks about life's destructive dance. It's kind of sad. It's very poignant stuff, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I just wanted to give a shout-out to your nana, um, Marama, because she remembers the tailors um, from growing up, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, I immediately asked her once I was able... The, the first time that I saw her, I was thinking, did you 
know the Taylors or Abby himself and she said, yeah, the Taylors, name that she remembers having yes. grown up uh, on the Marawa in that community uh, as a girl. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it, close associations there. Yes, of that's great. Is there a particular poem of his that stands out or is it just all of it is so powerful? Well, this was the, the first poem well, the the first poem that I ever taught to my first class oh, wow. um, is Sad Joke on a Marae. Uh, really beautiful poem. Um, speaks to or speaks of the perspective of a someone who I'm not sure how closely we can assume is associated or is a representation of Taylor himself, mm. but an individual who says the lines to hey Māori older and the only Māori I knew. So someone of Māori descent who has lost his language and his culture uh, something that this is exactly what did happen to a large number of Māori and however we see this character too we see him sort of conform to the skeleton of what we know as Māori kaupapa. So in spite of having lost his connection to his heritage, he still claws back and finds it no matter what. Yeah. Oh, that's it's so powerful, isn't it? Yeah, Absolutely. it's really, really interesting. I'm definitely going to read some more of his. Um, now, you've also been teaching um, a poet, I don't know as much about him, but the poet Simon Williamson. Um, and I really all I knew about him was that he was a performance poet and um, he di- he died young, yeah. tragically. Yeah. Um, and one, you're telling me about one of the poems you've been teaching, um, Tama Te Ora. Um, can you tell us much about the, the poem? Because I understand there's a little bit of discussion that, that is had mm. around that um, area now when you're teaching students. Yes. Uh, Williamson himself was Pākehā, uh, although he grew up in and around a, a close-knit Māori community. Um, he, and, and like we've mentioned, there's not a lot of information about him. It's really difficult to find information yes. on him uh, as a performance poet. With Performing with the spoken word, his presentations were incredibly powerful and the words that he used were incredibly powerful but it's an interesting parallel to the Māori people themselves who had a very strong oral tradition but no written language yes. and so that oral tradition was able to go through the generations very powerfully, very capably however no written language means that it's it's easy to lose yes. easy to lose if there's one generation that is forced to that, lose the language yeah, itself. Absolutely yeah, um, what, and that's a utter tragedy, isn't it? It is, yeah. it is. So yeah. uh, Williamson's poem, Tama Te Ora, describes similar things. Um, character Tama, who, or Tama Te Ora, who is unable to, or is forced to uh, lose his name. He opens the, the poem by saying, she had the power to name us and lined us in a row. Your name is Gary. No, I replied, it is Tama Te Ora. Your name is Gary now. This is... This is also what happened. So losing yes. their names, losing their language um, forces them to also lose this oral tradition. Williamson himself being a performance poet, he, his performances were oral. And so mm. when 
he died or for the people who weren't present at these performances, lots of us don't get to experience his work. Yeah, because I was looking on our library catalogue and it's a bit, it's hard to find his, his stuff. We've got some in our special collections area. At least we've got some, but um, it's so sad, isn't it, that mm. a lot of that that will have gone with with his passing. Yeah. Yeah, what an interesting interesting guy. Um, I'd like to kind of head back in time a bit to, to a couple of old school radicals. Um, and so I'm thinking of Alan Curnow and um, Dennis Glover mm-hmm. as well. Now, um, because um, now Curnow, well, they were both born, like one was born in 1911, one in 1912. So we're going back in time a bit. And Curnow is regarded as one of our grades. He was influenced by the the contemporary British modernist mm. poets, but he um, he was really interested in exploring aspects of living in in this country mm. on this mm. land, wasn't he? Um, and um, in, even in the nineteen thirties, he was expressing unease about the settlement of and development, I guess, the colonisation of New Zealand. And um, one of his lines I liked is um, awareness of what great gloom stands in a land of settlers with never a soul at home. Mm-hmm. It's, it's beautiful, really, isn't it? But he was quite... Um, he courted controversy, I guess, because um, he sort of said that New Zealand creative writers should be trying to define... Um, the, and understand their country through their work and the work yes. coming from this country, rather than falling back on that sort of sentimental verse and the um, or trying to echo uh, English poetry the, or in the poets of the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah, he yeah. looks at this deep irony. Uh, another line in that poem, the uh, taking tea from a silver pot for fear that the house might fall. So drinking the tea from the silver pot, uh, trying to be as British as possible uh, because being scared of not doing that is something that causes them to lose their heritage. Yeah. And, and I, I like what you say and you're exactly right. Colonel wanted to move away to make in, to make New Zealand its own place. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think you could argue that both he and Dennis Glover, who, who was similar in that respect, um, they were really ahead of their time, weren't they? They were, they were. I think, yeah. Um, and, you know, and gosh, I admire them when you, you know, when you look back. They were pretty brave. Um, how do the students react? Because the, they're old, you know, they'd be thinking, oh, this is old poetry. Mm. Um, do, they, do they find them relevant in today's world, it's, do you think? It is quite mm. interesting because in terms of uh, conventional poetry writing or the use of language features, Glover and Kernow are exemplary case studies for looking at the devices that are used and how these devices themselves create effects. So they use, um, or the ones that we study, they use conventional rhyme schemes, conventional uh, stanza structures. Oh, yes, yeah. And this kind of, or, and then they are able to subvert these conventions to shake up or provide unease so they sort of provide they promise something that is normal Mm. that shifts up in the later ends of these poems so 
in terms of teaching, there's opportunities to show the students, oh, these are what language features, these are the, the effects that are created from them. And moving forward, what can we, what meaning can we create yeah. out of these as well? Yeah. Yeah, I really like the way they kind of, their poems almost start moving in the opposite direction or the meaning does and something will hit you out of left field, won't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. One of the other poets I really love um, actually is um, Hina Moana Baker and um, her poetry um, often will have a really punchy title and you think, wow, this is going to hit me hard. But then her writings actually, it's almost like she puts her vel- velvet gloves on and it's really softly, softly. And um, there's one poem um, that she wrote um, and it was in response to the those terrible, infamous Tuhoi raids in 2007. You know, it's not that long ago. And um, sh- her, her poem, um, and when you read the title of it, it's called Methods of Assessing the Likely Presence of a Terrorist Threat in a Remote Indigenous Community. And so I thought, wow, this is going to be, you know, really, mm-hmm. you know, I, th- I feel as I'm going to get washed away by this. But then it's um, it's so beautiful. I probably won't read it all, but it starts, um, wake in the dark to the sound of a log dropping to the ground in a distant timber yard, a train uncoupling in the village, the growl of something old, angry and tethered. That's just the first verse of it. But it's it's all sort of gentle and and I find it an amazing poem because you've got to read it over and over again to see what she's really saying and what I think is a lot of it's about actually not so much the raids themselves which were sort of explosive and traumatic and violent I think it's about the surveillance Mm. that went on for like over a year so the government, I, mm-hmm. I guess, for want of a better word, were um, spying on the community for, for at least 12 months. And uh, I guess they were trying to get evidence of of some sort of activity that were go, was going on. And so, and she kind of um, compares that to some of the stuff that was happening in um, East Berlin, mm-hmm. you know, before mm-hmm. the, the fall of the wall. So really powerful, powerful stuff, isn't yeah, it? Absolutely. Yeah, and um, I hope you don't mind because I, that I'm bringing a few of my poets in. Yeah, please, <laughs> please. Well. And because then the other one who I just love too is our um, our poet laureate, um, Dr. Selena Tusitala Marsh. Um, now she's a um, professor of creative writing and Pacific literature at Auckland University at the moment, and. Um, there's a couple of reasons I'm bringing her up. Um, she grew up in Avondale and um, she says that absolute turning point in her life came when the poet Sam Hunt visited her school, when, must have been at her intermediate school, and um, it just, she said, my whole world pivoted. Um, he embodied this thing called poetry that until then had been this static, inaccessible thing. I grew up with my nose pressed against stuff I didn't know how to get, you know, and then now here she is. She travels to schools and, and she brings her performance poetry to, to kids and she really um, brings it to life. Um, so, and, yeah, and she wants to sort of um, expand 
the worlds of of kids. But I love um, uh, so much is so good about what she does. She um, vents a lot about racism in her poetry, as she you know is perfectly entitled to do. Um, but she does it in quite a subversive way. To probably a bit like Hinamuana, I, I would say. And um, she talks about, she says you've got to seduce the reader or the listener to get your point across. But one thing I really love, what she, she does say, because she's strong, she says, never piss off a poet. <laughs> and that's quite... That's poetry in itself, isn't it? It is, yeah. it is. So don't piss off the poet. <laughs> yeah. I really love love her, her work. So, you know, we've got such a rich mm. um, cohort of, of poets yeah. at the moment, don't we? I, and I I love that narrative that forms um, that Tussie Talamash uh, was inspired by Hunt and... I don't know, when we come back to this uh, possibly 20 years from now when those... Uh, People who are students now who come yes. through and say, I loved it when she came to our school and yeah, inspired and all of us, absolutely. I'll never forget it. Yeah, because um, even at my advancing age, I when I was at school, I think it was year 13, Sam Hunt came to to my English class too, and I'll never f- forget it. And we also had um, Hone Tufare came as well. Wow. And what a, oh man, I, yeah, and it's the sort of thing you just never ever forget and it was like a, a light bulb um, moment something switched on it gets switched on doesn't it and i think it's hearing them yep. perform their, their works it's yeah. for, for students and young people uh, it's important unbelievably important how much you need to show them that creating is a real thing is that it's it's creating poetry, creating writing is a real thing for people to actually do themselves. They kind of have this uh, almost uh, wistful, or it's not a real perception of what creativity is. They kind yeah. of think that it's 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 something that the people who do write books, who do write poetry, aren't actually real people. They kind of almost think they're the teachers in their spare time kind of just put together these words and say, oh, uh, somebody else made this. It's time for you to write your exam about this. (laughs) It's something for them to do themselves. Yeah. And it's something that they need to step into doing themselves. Yeah. And that a poet or a writer isn't just some elite white person, you know, in the other hemisphere. Yeah, that it, um, there's poets among all of us, aren't mm. there? And because um, writing and performing poetry, it's actually quite a radical act, isn't it? It is, it is. Yeah, especially when you um, read some of those amazing African-American poets like Maya Angelou mm. and um, Gil Scott Heron. I loved his one, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. You know, it's fantastic, isn't mm. it? Mm. Yeah. Um, now, um, the other thing I was going to talk about briefly there's a real rise um of instagram poets now isn't there it's sort of really huge i think i forgot to hope i'm not um throwing you with this because i kind of forgot to mention it before but um i just say a couple of things about it you know um the the rise of um, poetry on Instagram, it's been criticised by some of the elite. They're saying, oh, you know, is this real poetry? But I think it comes back to what you were saying about 
our students, they can just create mm. and write and do themselves and their voices are important. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. So I'm I'm all for it. I'm happy to see the Instagram poets. Yeah. The positive thing about the social media age is these students... Well, Sorry, not these students. Literally anybody, if they've got a smartphone or a device or anything like that, they can perform themselves to the world. And that's amazing. It's beautiful. It's wonderful, isn't it? And they can be heard. Yeah. Oh, wow. You sound as though you're the most amazing teacher. I wouldn't say that quite yet. Yeah, yeah. maybe next year. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and, you know, you probably do too, but I remember a few teachers that really influenced me and you know you never forget them as you move through your life and I'm sure in years to come there'll be students who remember you they'll say oh remember that cool guy Mr Fitzpatrick yeah he was awesome yeah hey look thank you so much Dan this has been so interesting to talk to you today I could have gone on for ages yeah um and to our listeners thanks for for tuning in um just remember that um, you can find um, our show notes on the Auckland Library's blog. Um, now, all the addresses for that kind of thing are going to come up in the opening, uh, in the closing music. We have just about finished. Um, so, until next time, happy reading. Harera and kakiteya. by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond. Every day, every day, every day.